Warning, Weird West Radio contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. to Weird West Radio on Rain Man Digital. Rain Man Digital's exclusive Western show where the show's hosted by a has-been and a nobody. <laughs> Hello, Clint. How are you? I'm okay. All right. So today we're going to be discussing the 1971 Western drama film McCabe and Miss Miller as a two-hour running time. It dropped on us in 1971. Uh, the film is directed by Robert Altman and written by Brian McKay and Robert Altman. And the cinematographer, Belmos Zygmunt. Love it. Uh, McKay and Miss Miller is a 1971 American revisionist Western film directed by Robert Altman and starring Warren Beatty and Julie Christie. Uh, the screenplay by Altman and Brian McKay is based on the 1959 novel McCabe by Edmund Naughton. This film at the time of its premiere was beloved by critics, but not so much by the many, 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 many of the American audiences at the time that, as you and I have talked about time and time again, were not accustomed to the more stylistic westerns they were accustomed to the traditional western films of the time altman himself referred to his film as an anti-western because he was well aware that the film ignored and even subverted uh, those typical western conventions or even audiences expectations It dared to be different, Clint, and don't you dare be different because people will scorn you and point their finger at you if it's not the same old shitty Western over and over (laughs) and over. And yes, I definitely would consider this a revisionist Western, no doubt. No question. But that being stated, Revisionist Western or traditional Western, it can't be said that Altman isn't a talented director. Whether revisionist Westerns are your thing or not, or you're just a traditional guy, I find it very hard for anyone to sit down in front of the screen, push play, and say Altman is an awful director. 
He's got the mind of a true artist, and we're going to get into some of his work later during the show and, and many of his stylistic approaches and some of the creative decisions that he went with for this movie, which I will say are questionable. <laughs> but that's also, I mean, is that am I being objective and am I being a little too subjective based on what I would do? Um, because. I feel confused or conflicted with this movie. I will be honest. I'm not quite sure where I fall with this one. As I mm. said, critics love the movie. The film received critical acclaim uh, when it came out in the years since its release. It, it, of course it earned an Oscar nomination for uh, Christie for best actress. Uh, the oh, wow. film was deemed the eighth greatest Western of all time by the American film Institute. It was actually just selected for pres uh, for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the wow. Library of Congress. Somebody liked it. Yeah, it, it, the art crowds love this movie, and usually I'm right there with them. But I'm just not sure. There's a surrealistic quality to it. It is a gorgeous picture with fascinating cinematography, really good acting astonishing sound design which we're going to talk a lot about that as well because altman has an interesting approach to all of this there's also some creative decisions that could be considered unorthodox altman was definitely an out-of-the-box thinker clint what are your initial thoughts on this movie i'm dying to know well you know i'm not a big warren Beatty fan so i was when you mentioned this one, I'm like, okay, well, here we go. Yeah. And off the get-go, he was interesting. Yeah. He was, I don't know how you would put this, because he has an interesting character. He's playing an interesting character. There's, there's something redeeming. There's a redeeming quality about him, but... There's that gambler shadiness to him yeah. in the beginning, right? You just kind of, you know, there's something else going on. But what caught me more in just the beginning is that the conversations amongst the civilians or the, the people in the background, mm -hmm. you picked up on like half of it. Right. And you heard stuff in the corner and they were, they were actually just talking instead of just kind of a mumble or a whatever, and you heard it, I I was drawn in at that point. And then you have this fantastic set, and you and I, we actually discussed it, uh, I think it was yesterday. We love snow in our westerns. There's something about that. My favorite. Yeah, there's something yeah. about the snowfall. There's something about the, the melt. There's something, you know what I mean? I, I I could go on and on, but there was something a, a really cool about this film. And I think that was kind of it. You actually felt like you were in the town. And uh, that's what got me started on it. Yeah. I'm wondering after watching this movie, because I have, I've watched this movie before years ago. I, I might've been in high school or junior high. And I didn't really look at movies then the way I do now, especially when I'm preparing to discuss and review on our shows. But I'm wondering if Melch from Deadwood used this movie to 
conjure up a little bit of inspiration because it has similarities in terms of stylistic choices. Like, for mm-hmm. example, the conversations, the sound design, uh, letting the characters just be like, yep. let's not focus on the characters. Hey, guys, close up on this character because they're the ones you need to pay attention to. Yes, he did do that numerous times in the movie. Uh, we had those extreme close-ups that were very popular with the European Westerns at that time. But for the most part, he would just let the camera just sit. And he would move it whenever he felt like he needed to. But it wasn't necessarily to just capture one character. It was there to kind of just take it all in. And he wasn't afraid to just say, all right, you know what? Yes, I know Warren Beatty is the star, but I'm going to let the camera sit right here. And we're going to listen to some no-name um bartender and a patron we're gonna just listen to their conversation yeah i feel like that's what deadwood does a lot to help add to the aesthetics the life of that town if it didn't if he didn't watch it beforehand he when he watched it probably the first time it Mm -hmm. stuck with him it was something he liked because that is exact you know when i was watching it i thought the same thing i thought wow this is there's Deadwood has sprinkles of this in it. Yeah. Or sure. not even sprinkles. It was just in it. Yeah. And I, I that's one. Re, we've talked about it all the time on our show that we love that. We love that little fly on the wall hit, hidden behind a barrel type mm-hmm. uh, camera action and conversation. It, it, yeah. You're definitely right on that. It's he had to. It was probably in his subconscious. It, well, it has to be. I mean, you if you have Melch, who's obviously a genius to begin with, okay? The guy is a super genius, super intellectual. Uh, Altman was considered a super intellectual. And going to film school, I know we studied Altman pictures. A lot of filmmakers had Altman on their top 10. So a lot of people within the industry and within the academic circles, they do love this guy. And this movie is talked about a lot amongst film enthusiasts. So, yeah, there's I'm fairly certain Melch probably was like, this movie's fucking great. And I'm going to do my own version of it. So. All right. So let's get officially into this. The synopsis. A gambler and a prostitute becomes business partners in a remote Old West mining town. And their enterprise thrives. A large corporation arrives on the scene. Starring Warren Beatty, Julie Christie, Renee Herbert, Shawan. There we go. And setting aside the disgust of prostitutes with STDs that are causing their face to melt. <laughs> Almost vomited a couple times. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, but setting aside that stuff, which did add to the, believe it or not, the charming aspect of this town and how much nuanced detail went into creating this film. Setting that aside, let's look at directing here. Great directing, as I mentioned, unorthodox methods. Now, I purchased the 4K digital restoration, and I listened to most of the commentary that came with that version by Altman. And interestingly, he admits to shooting almost the entire film in sequential order. This is never done. Never. For almost 
thousands of different reasons. You never shoot a film in, in the sequence that it is written. Uh, there's budget reasons. There's scheduling reasons. Uh, usually actors come and go. Sometimes actors don't meet. But this entire movie was filmed, for the most part, in sequential order. And part of the concept of the film is that Beatty's character, right? Okay, rides into town and essentially turns this shit mining town into a lucrative success. So why not make all of this feel more legit by building the town literally while you're filming? Now, Clint, I'm not talking, all right, that's a wrap for today. Let's build the rest of the town because we're going to need a uh, bank in the background tomorrow. We're going to need a blacksmith also in the western part of the town because we're going to be shooting in that direction. So we need to make sure that's built. No, he physically had carpenters for the film, okay, people building the sets. He had them dressed in period costumes. This is amazing. And had them use tools of the period so they could actually go about their business in the background while they're fucking filming. That's smart. How amazing is that? That's just smart. You know what I mean? Dude, it is smart. Again, for budget reasons, it's actually pretty fucking intelligent. Why hold people around for two or three days, which costs every time a production is shut down, you're still spending money. It isn't a free day. You're spending money. So why waste three, four, five, six days to let someone build a town when you can add to the quality and the authenticity of the film by having them fucking build it? In the background while you're shooting. Right. That to me is one of the greatest things about this movie because you do feel that. You feel like you are a part of this town. And as the movie progresses, you see things popping up halfway built churches, halfway built buildings in the back. And then, you know, I don't know, 30 minutes later, 15 minutes later, it's. The movie, the plot has progressed, and now the background has also progressed. Naturally, you see people working. It's a really smart way to shoot, but also it's just creative because it just adds, like I said, an authenticity, a realism to this Western. And Altman made other similar decisions for stylistic reasons within the editing studio as well. And this is something you mentioned in your thoughts which I that's very perceptive of you. Okay. The editing was an innovation. It's time because the principal storyline about John McCabe and Constance Miller occupies relatively little of the film's running time, especially in the first half of the movie. Now, why is this a good thing? And I'm posing this question. Okay. The, Critic of the Times, 1971, Pauline Kael said that the classical story is only a thread in the story that Altman is telling. The people who drop in and out of place, a primitive mining town, are not just background from McCabe and Miss Miller. McCabe and Miss Miller are simply the two most interesting people in the town, and we catch their stories in glimpses as they interact with the other characters and each other. Lives are picked up and let go and the sense of how little we know about them becomes a part of the texture and then she continues we generally know little about the characters in movies but since we're assured that this that little is all we need to know 
and thus all there is to know were not bothered by it. Took me some time with that thought. Because decisions like this for me, I'm a little iffy about. Because she's right. Yes, Altman wanted to be very selective of what we would see across the frame. That much is clear. I get that. I did pick up on that. But at the same time, you can call that lack of character development. Yeah. Do, you get, do you get what I'm saying? Yep, yep, yep. Like, yeah, okay, that's a cool artistic choice, and we get that, that they're just background, that, they're, yes, they're the leads, because when you make a movie, you have to have two lead characters to put asses in seats, and and also within Western civilization and the literature we read, you always got to have a protagonist and then an antagonist, whether that be tangible or not. So, yes, I get you have to have that, but... But I feel like at times you feel like you don't know the characters enough. Beatty did a fantastic job as McCabe. Perhaps us not knowing a lot about him. It was another smart, creative decision because he's a con man a bit. He's not just a gambler. He's a, he's a, big, he's a bit of a phony. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to call him a con man because that's not his profession. He's just shady. He's not truthful. He's not honest with who, with anyone, with uh, about his abilities and who he is. You get that from the very beginning of the movie. So, is this creative decision by Altman to make them background noise so that it feels like we don't know enough about them? Is he doing this purposely because it fits with who McCabe is, someone that we don't really know anything about? I do like the idea that the frame. You know, the film, the frame was a window into the past. And only if a character by chance were to pass this magical window, would we witness what they're doing at that given time. I like that idea. It's cool. It's a surrealistic quality that adds to this picture. But it brings. It brings that question to the forefront. Is this a good thing? And honestly, I think it's subjective. I think it's Mm -hmm. up to you as the viewer. Are you okay with this? Are you okay not really knowing very much about our leads? How do you feel about that, Clint? Did this bother you in the least? You know, at at first, uh, I was was more intrigued. Again, I'm not a Warren Beatty fan. It was just a different role for him. Mm -hmm. So I looked at it from that kind of point of view, like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Yeah. But you could tell that this guy was either... Shady or broken, right? There's something going on. And today's, we talk about this all the time, that today's uh, either movies or television shows, they've got to fucking tell you everything. They've got to go into about either two episodes or half (laughs) the movie about the guy's past or or the person's past. Yeah. And sometimes we like that. And sometimes I don't need to know it. Mm-hmm. And this is this, like you said, this is a whole different approach. This is actually giving you just enough to keep the film going. And I kind of enjoyed the fact that I didn't need to know if his mom beat him, if his, yeah. if his, if he had a one of those weird uncles. I was kind of happy that it was just what was it? The Luke Short was that Luke Short? Mm-hmm. You know. 
that story was just enough. And we saw what he was trying to do with the town and with the with the brothel. And, you know, we saw what he was trying to do. I like that she helped him with that development throughout the, the film. Right. You know, I, the, absolutely. The, the, the push, I guess, yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Try to she always tried to tell him to think bigger. And I like that. I like that there was that. Otherwise, this probably wouldn't have worked at all. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I I also agree with you about Warren Beatty, by the way. Like, I I do like him in the movies I've seen him in, but I've never been an avid, oh, yes, Warren Beatty. He's yeah. the best. <laughs> I feel like he's good at what he does, but there were also a lot of similar actors at that time that were doing similar things. Okay. And I think he gets kind of lost in there, even when it comes to me as as a fan of a film. He's not a bad actor by any means. He's really good. And in this, he is fantastic at what at, at what he's given. But I feel like Julie Christie is even better. Yes. Even the way she was written, not just in performance, but just the meat of what she was given. Yeah. Uh, they, they essentially so <laughs> stupid. By the way, she's pretty hot. I get so depressed when we watch these older films and I'm like, man, she's hot. And then I Google. I Google them. I'm like, oh, she's like 90 now. That's too bad. It's, I'm like, oh, well. Do you, do you like them high and glassy-eyed? Yeah, I do, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so I do like how they used her to... It's, and this is how you use supporting casts. If you can even consider a supporting cast, because I would almost say she rivals as, as the lead of this picture, to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, because she actually is used to help us understand Warren Beatty's character that much more. McCabe, if it wasn't for her introduction into the film, we wouldn't know that he's a liar. We wouldn't know that he really is kind of incompetent. Yeah, and, and he can't even do numbers. Yeah, he all he has is ambition, really. And then it's Miss Miller that really is the brains of the operation that essentially wants him to make decisions that will save his life. So I do like that they used her in a way that helps us understand him. If we didn't have that, I probably would have looked at this movie a little differently and sure. not pose the question that I posed earlier. I would just definitively say this movie has shit character development. <laughs> Um, but overall, like I said, I can't complain. Altman had an approach. At least he's not um, flaky with his decisions. I can get behind directors that are definitively trying to do something and say something. And even if it's like something I wouldn't do or I would say, mm, you should have done this possibly, you know, as a critic, I'm looking at it and saying, well, I get what you're doing, but I would have done this differently. At least he commits to an idea and he has a goalpost. You know, this is what I've set up. That's where I'm going and I'm not going to deviate. There is no. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no stutter stepping in this film. You, you under you get the idea that Robert Altman knew exactly what he was trying to do and he accomplished what he had set out to do. Now talking about the sound stuff. That's what I was trying to get to. 
other film critics have described the effect in terms of undermining of the dialogue as an element in the film. And this is something you brought up at the top of the show. Many characters speak simultaneously. And he says, we are aware of the discreteness of their conversations, but as their comments bleed into those of others, the effect is to undermine the dialogue. The scene moves dialogue from the informational status it usually occupies to the category of noise. Language becomes a sound effect. When we do hear the dialogue, it is the speaker who is important rather than what is being said. It's the chaos of sound. It lends itself to the backdrop of the town and evokes the proper feelings. That's why I'm 100% on board with the sound design aspects of this film. Because rather than highlighting everyone, they are allowing us, the viewer, to feel like we are sitting in the bar or walking down the street and we're bombarded by sounds. Like what happens when we go to a movie theater? Or uh, we go to the mall or a shopping center of some type, the grocery store. We're bombarded by sounds. Mm -hmm. And because there's so many, a lot of times it it does just kind of fade to the back of our mind. And it's just background noise. It's white noise. That's what he did with this movie. Many times when you're doing the sound mix, you drop those background sounds to very small levels so that you can your mind registers them so it doesn't feel like you're in a ghost town when you're in a city but it's not to draw attention whereas with this movie they want to draw attention to all of it so that you don't pay attention to it how fucking weird is that hey we're gonna put all of it to the front so you can hear it but we don't want you to pay attention to it because that's not what's important and by doing that you forget that it's there yeah I mean, that's some psychological shit going into the process of your your movie. And I mean, as a director, I mean, isn't that what you kind of have to be parts, you know, one part creative force to be reckoned with and one force, you know, psychologist. You have to understand what what gets into the minds of the audience. How how are you going to snag their attention? How are how are you going to make them react the way you want them to? Well, and the one thing I liked is. You know, it, it it drew you in when they were talking. Uh, Warren Beatty and and I'm uh, sorry, McCabe and Miss Smith were talking yeah. when they went away from the microphone or away from the scene, like they were up close and they walked away. Normally, you know, they try to keep that sound up. I figure so that we can kind of still hear them, and they they actually went really low. And you kind of drew yourself in a little bit more to kind of like peek in on the conversation. Right. That's yeah. kind of how I felt about it anyway. Yeah. But it, it, it kind of made you want to listen to more. And again, you're like the fly on the wall. And that's what I loved about the conversations, because even when you're walking through the makeshift saloon, they're throwing sometimes little bits of information at you. Sometimes it's complete bullshit, but you find yourself trying to pick up on something. Yeah. And it's kind of fun. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. The fact that we have those, we had those go-to faces as well, again, felt a lot like Deadwood. It's something we always talk about that we loved about Deadwood is that in the show from season one to season three, 
you always had the same background people for the most part. You had those faces, even if they weren't the leads, you had the blacksmith, you had, you know, those certain roles and you can always expect to see that guy in the background. It, again, it adds to the authenticity of the, the overall story, right? The production, yeah. same thing with this. We always had our go-tos, even if they weren't the focus or the main characters. Hey, that guy's in the bar again. Ten minutes later, that's the same guy that served the drinks 20 minutes earlier. Uh, that's the same guy that was hammering away 30 minutes ago. So it having these different faces and their conversations, it just... It just adds to the town. It makes you feel like you're there. So you're right about it bringing you in. Absolutely. Um, let's go to a very quick break. And then when we get back, we're going to jump into some discussions on Warren Beatty and Julie Christie a little bit more, as well as the cinematography. We'll be right back. Don't y'all go nowhere. Weird West Radio will be right back. on the stage you get some tits on the stage everybody will forget all of their political beliefs and ideology like who's that hottie mcgee sex sells man it really does let's put who's who's a woman that you'd like to see as president that's thomas a, that's a politician oh, i didn't say politician okay, just a okay. woman what's the mexican lady that has a very thick accent from that sitcom with the family a family show oh modern family yeah modern family like if you were to put her on that stage and say hey she's a democrat i think there would be people I'd crossing party lines yeah, I would vote what, what, she's married to uh sophia Vergara. there you go there you yeah go. people would be crossing party lines to vote for her real change at that point yeah all the states that were red now turning blue i don't know is she born citizen who cares? Who cares? She because Who cares? there's because there's Back laws. I don't care. Destroying those every bit tonight. And you think they matter? <laughs> when it comes to politics. Well, Michael, I know this is all hypothetical and it's all like tongue in cheek and it's satire, Man, but I want to yeah. make sure I just I, I bring the entire show to a halt yet again. <laughs> just as I want everyone to know that she can't actually run for president because she's born in Mexico. God, you're yeah. the scientist who disappointed everyone after Jurassic Park by saying you're dinosaurs fucking, were like chickens, not dinosaurs at all. You're a goddamn boner killer. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Nobody cares about facts. Bobby and Ryan have told me this about Steve, and I've never seen it until tonight. (laughs) He must be getting really, I mean, no more champagne dates. I think you're getting way too comfortable, Steve. I like the old Steve. Just fall in line. For more Rain Man, visit RainManShow.com. Want more Weird West Radio? Get more Western discussions, plus some pulpy fun. Get more Weird West Radio every month with the Patreon Mike and Clint Do You Right tier. When you pledge just $4 or more a month, you will receive two to four additional broadcasts every single month. More movie discussions on the weird, strange, and traditional Westerns, including episodic breakdowns on the adventures of Briscoe County Jr., and the Wild Wild West. Also, for you Spaghetti Western fans, we've got a monthly specialty show dedicated specifically to the iconic film genre of the 60s and 70s. For more Western discussions, plus some pulpy fun, go to patreon.com slash Rain Man Digital and pledge. 
should bother to fool him around. Keeps the vomits on the run, boy. Keeps the vomits on the run. Think he's a sleepy type guy. Always takes his time. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. Y'all listen to Weird West Radio. All Rain Man Digital. All right, welcome back, everyone, to Weird West Radio. It's true. We're in the midst of talking about McCabe and Miss Miller, the 1971 Western directed by Robert Altman. So let's talk a little bit more about Warren Beatty. Uh, we've already kind of skipped to this segment just a bit through our other conversations but just to highlight his performance one last time before we move on I will say out of all the Beatty films I've watched and I'll be honest I am partial to Dick Tracy I'll just say it I, I like I like him at Dick Tracy I know you made jokes the other day when we had talked about reviewing this and I was like hey listen I hey I thought I thought he did a great job portraying Dick Tracy Uh, but leaving the silliness aside for a second I feel like this might be one of his better performances one of his better roles that he has taken on there's something elusive about his performance something there's a genuineness to him and he doesn't look like the typical Warren Beatty and I know he's younger and listen all of his movies his greatest films were when he was younger so that's not the point. The point is, is that he was just so in it in this role that he looked like someone else. There were also these moments. And if they were directing choices, then once again, kudos to Altman. But if they were also part of his decisions, then kudos to Beatty as well. I love that. He very rarely looked up. Did you notice that? Yeah, he was always kind of shady and eyes down and not looking at people. I love it because that is a fucking no, no. Like, hey. When you direct your leads, they need to make sure to they have to make love to the camera. You know, obviously, you never make direct contact with the camera lens, eye contact with the camera lens. But you have to discover and explore the face of our leads because through the texture of their face, we learn about them. We learn things, things that don't need to be said. But again, knowing that the whole point is that we don't quite know everything about this character. The idea of having Warren Beatty look to the side or look down or always having that bowler hat on really low over his brow. I liked it a lot and I loved how he played it. There was a shyness to it. I 
there was a combination combination of shyness and shadiness. Yeah, he didn't want to be found out. Right. Insecurity a bit. Like, hey, I don't hey, listen, this is all a I don't know anything, guys. And you really didn't see who he really is until the third act is when they finally decide to show his face a little more clear. And by that point, we kind of understand now that he's kind of a a pretend. He's a fake. Now, originally, Altman offered the lead to Elliot Gould, who reportedly turned it down to make a movie that no one remembers called I Love My Wife. Uh, one of the producers said that you're making the mistake of your life. Wow. Well, this movie's remembered and uh, part of, you know, film historians, top 10 films of all time. So perhaps he did make the worst mistake of his life because who remembers? I love my wife. Do you Clint? I do love my wife, but I do not remember that movie. <laughs> nice save. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Okay. So he says about the script, he obviously didn't get the script. Okay. And as I said, who's right? Who's wrong? Is it subjective or objective here? I think it comes down to, does it work for you personally as a member of the audience? And it seems like for Elliot Gould, the script didn't work for him as a member of, of the audience or a reader of the script. He says, there was a part of me that was not developed at all. And I had no real understanding about the woman. Oh, oh, no understanding about what the woman is. So he didn't understand Mrs. Miller's character and what she meant to him. And he had no idea who he was playing. (laughs) And that's actually a fair statement. He's not wrong. Obviously, he wasn't listening to Altman. Maybe Altman didn't really pitch him on the idea. Maybe Altman, you know, coming off of the huge success of MASH was like, do I really need to sell this script to Elliot Gould? Like, if you don't understand it, I'm not going to sit here and sell you on it. I can go to someone else and get, sure. you know, that could be the case. The producers eventually got a hold of Warren Beatty. He was in England. This is amazing. So he flew to New York to see MASH. Okay, which was the big movie at the time. We all we've all heard of that flick. Then he flew to Los Angeles to sign for McCabe. So all he had to do, he didn't even read the script. He just saw MASH and saw what Altman did. And he's like, and like, I'm in. Sign me up. So Warren Beatty is an artist type actor. He's a thespian. So obviously someone like him, he's going to understand what Altman is capable of doing. You know who he reminds me of or vice versa is Richard Gere. Anytime you watch Richard Gere, he kind of plays the same yeah. in everything. Yeah. And maybe not Dick Tracy. I don't know. I don't really <laughs> remember it, but I, you know, but I, I think, uh, I think that's the problem that I always had with Warren Beatty is he always seemed like he was playing the same character. and. You know, even in Bonnie and Clyde, he seemed that way. Yeah. But this one, he was like a character. Like he had, there was so much going on with the guy that you just wanted to see what was going to happen next. Yeah. So I think for me, this is probably his best film that I've seen him in. No, I I agree. You know, 100%. And I've seen a lot of Beatty films. I mean, Bugsy was pretty damn good but he looks like Richard Gere he reminds me a little bit of Sean Connery he looks a little bit like Paul Newman 
And yes, they don't look the same per se, but there's similarities. They were all doing the same movies at the time. Uh, Gear was a little younger, uh, but they, they, they're almost like interchangeable. And I, yes, I am throwing Sean Connery in the mix as well. I know Sean Connery has done some iconic roles, but I can almost see them saying, hey, uh, Paul Newman, you don't want to do this? Okay, Sean Connery, you want to do this picture here? Uh, just don't have the British accent, all right? Good. Roll cameras. <laughs> There's a group of actors that I feel like they were, could be interchangeable. And in a movie like this, I don't think you can do that. I think it calls for a very specific type of character, and it challenged Warren Beatty not to be in his comfort zone. He had to be someone different. And it's sad that he did not make better decisions after this movie because, yes, he was a promising actor way before that. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde was a huge picture. But McCabe and Miss Miller was such a critically acclaimed film. I feel like after this, he could have probably done any high-end mainstream art film that he had wanted to but instead he kind of just fell back into that comfort zone and really did and I, I feel like I'm talking bad about Warren Beatty because I, I think he's a capable actor but I don't think he's ever played a role like John McCabe since no, I, John I, McCabe. I agree yeah and Julie Christie I, I, I'll be honest with you not really familiar with her work. I know she was in a lot of classic films and I've seen various films of hers. I mean, Dr. Zhivago, uh, Darling. She's been in a lot of pictures. Hamlet in 1996. She's still working to this day. But I think, again, this is a picture that was more of a standout performance for her as well. I mean, especially since she played a prostitute that cost five bucks. I mean, that's high end status right <laughs> that, there, right? That's expensive. That's real. I mean, the guy that purchased her even said so. He's like, damn, that's a lot of money. But all right, let's do it. You're definitely worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel, I feel, uh, I'm empathetic to that man's plight. <laughs> all right, let's talk about cinematography. The film, and this bit was also from the, um, the commentary. Not the honest aspect here. There's an honest aspect that I feel it was was freaking amazing. And it, hold on a second, let me backtrack. I feel like most of this was from the commentary. There's a, a bit of an fu to the studios that was uh, within other sites when I was scrolling through the internet looking for information on this movie. So the film, especially the final scene, is atypical of the Western genre. The showdown between the reluctant protagonist and his enemies takes place ungracefully in the snow during the early hours rather than at high noon. Good call. Yeah. Instead of hiding indoors and watching the battle unfold outside, the townsfolk are bustling in the streets and largely unaware of the gunfight taking place in their midst. I like that as well. That was interesting. Yeah, it's it's a different approach for sure. And a sad ending. Yeah. Not to jump ahead, but that was tough. Yeah, especially, again, 1970s, where you don't really want, when you're making a movie for American audiences, that's just the type of ending you don't fucking do. Yeah, I mean, there was, you know, <laughs> they're going to find him in spring. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's true. 
they're going to think he escaped. And, and then they're like, oh, shit. It was this warm out. Yeah. So this is the interesting part when it comes to the cinematography for a very distinctive look. And I, by the way, I did pick up on this and I thought it was pretty fucking smart. I loved the visuals uh, for a very distinctive look. Altman and Ziskman chose to flash. Prefog is what it's called. The film negative before its eventual exposure, as well as use a number of filters on the cameras rather than manipulate the film in post-production, which is common even today. But they, they did it in camera while they're shooting so that the studios could not force him to change the film's look to something less distinctive. Hmm. So Altman, as a true artiste, knew the studios were not going to go with his ideas in terms of visuals. So he said, fuck it. I'm going to make it permanent to where they can't change it. <laughs> now, what flashing is, is actually a pretty cool effect. Uh, it's flat- not what I got arrested for when I was 19. No, it's not uh, when you pull out your little penis and flash it around for all to see. You were there. Uh, I was. I actually didn't see anything because it was small. <laughs> it was cold out. <laughs> so in cinematography and photography, flashing is the exposure of the film's or the film or digital sensors to uniform light prior to exposing it in the scene. Uh, basically it is used as a method of contrast control and it brings out detail in darker areas. This needed to be done in a movie like this because so much of the film took place in the dark. They had a lot to expose. And if you wanted to bring out that detail in darker areas, it'd be a lot more difficult. And you, I could almost see the studio saying let's brighten this up i see what you're doing here eh, the contrast is a little too much let's brighten all the darks and uh so that the audiences can see it well fuck it we're gonna flash this we're gonna make the detail and the darkness permanent but we'll bring it out so that people can still see what's happening and it'll give it a better contrast ratio this also adds a bias to the overall light input recorded by the sensor when it's used artistic effects which was the case in this movie it can be used to add a color cast to shadows without and this is the key here without significantly affecting highlights which happens when you're trying to create certain color temperature within shadows you end up changing the overall highlights and then it affects the the skin tone and the hair of our subjects as well this was one of my favorite parts about the movie was the orange cast the the orangey dingy color temperature they went with inside of the saloon inside of the bar. And there was a distinct difference between daylight and night. Mm -hmm. And you could see those colors in the shadows. The orangey hue was within the darkness as well. Loved it. It was probably my favorite part of the entire movie. There's a lot of good things about this picture, but my favorite without a doubt was the cinematography. The chosen framing, the the bold, ballsy decisions to just let the camera sit on whoever, allowing Dave uh, Warren Beatty's character McCabe to look away from the camera, shooting him from above most of the time, which you don't do that. He was below the lens many times. The cinematography was so well thought out. It was amazing that this was done 
within American cinemas in 1971. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about sound mix. We already did. Uh, the aspect ratio was 2.40 uh, to 1. The cameras that it was shot on was uh, Panavision. And the Panavision C-Series lenses, the laboratory it was all uh, worked on in was the Alpha Cine Labs, which I, by the way, have used them as well. Did not realize mm. they were around in the 70s. Uh, negative format, of course, 35 millimeter. Uh, 100T. Holy shit. What is that? That's a very slow speed film stock. Which I'm amazed they were able to get that type of contrast with. uh, With that slow of film speed. There's a lot of grain. Now I had the 4K resolution or the 4K restoration. And in some of those scenes, especially within the opening 10 minutes. There was a lot of grain, more grain than than other seven films, big budget 70s films that were also restored. And I'm wondering if because they were shooting in the dark a lot and they were using such a. Slow film speed, but I don't know, honesty, um, that should af- that should actually reduce the fil- the, the grain. See, I, I rented it on iTunes and I and I don't think it was the high high res one at all and i of course you know i've always said i'm a big fan of watching my yeah my westerns with the grain and the the hairs and the whatever because i like i like when it's uh gritty and dirty like that and this actually came across on the uh across itunes pretty well yeah i purchased the criterion collection that was released it was a 4k digital transfer of the film so it wasn't a 4k projection i actually viewed in fact they don't sell a 4k version they over at criterion has a they have access to a 4k version and they did a digital transfer to of the film to blu-ray so i have the blu-ray version and overall the viewing is pretty fucking Gorgeous looking. As I said, there are moments of high, high grain uh, in various scenes throughout the movie. Maybe for whatever reason, it degraded over the years and they weren't able to fully restore it to the pristine original look. But honestly, with a movie like this, you kind of want that grain. So I agree with you. Grain's always good in movies like this, as long as it's not so grainy to where it distorts the visuals and you can't really see what's going on, which, which sadly is the case with many spaghetti westerns and their terrible digital transfers on Amazon. The, the, yeah. the, the grain's just too, too awful. All right, so the overall reception, the film earned an estimated $4 million in rentals in North America. McCabe and Miss Miller received positive reviews from critics and has a certified fresh score of 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. With an average rating of 8.77 out of 10, the critical consensus states McCabe and Miss Miller offers revisionist Western fans a landmark early addition to the genre. Uh, final thoughts? Clint, let's uh, move into the saloon over at the McCabe's McCabe Saloon. Let's go ahead and spend five dollars on Miss Miller. Hello, Miss Miller. I'll give you let's, ten. 
Let's find her uh, her little case. Oh, you want to have some heroin? Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. You want to put you want to put money on it. Wait, what are you? What case are you talking about? Are you talking about the heroin case or the little case? The little. Oh, that's right. She had a, no. I was talking about the heroin one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead and take a couple hits. Is that how you do heroin? I'm I'm, I'm a newbie when it comes to heroin. Apparently. Yeah. I thought it was opium. Oh, that's right. That's all the same. Opium, heroin. It's, uh, just, Is it? Yeah. See, that's how stupid I am. <laughs> as far as drugs. The last uh, sixty seconds of this broadcast, we sound like complete idiots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So let's go in there. Let's go ahead and dodge the STD infected lip whore. We don't want to get that. And uh, let's go up to the bar. How many? How? What is your RMD score and your final thoughts, Glenn? I'm going 85. percent I really enjoyed this one. I, I, again, I hate hate repeating it, but yeah. you know, not being a Warren Beatty fan, this really made me at least a fan of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um. There's nothing I, you know, I took it for what it was, and it was, it was a story. It felt like just a story of a this town, McCabe, Miss Miller. You know, we didn't need a whole history of them, um, and it the story came to a conclusion. You know what I mean? And visually, this thing was. We, we talked about the cinematography, but it was just, I think, beautiful as far as every little aspect. And when you find out that he used the construction workers in the frickin' camp as it was being built, that even made it that much better. And it was kind of a neat progression because you see the saloon and the bathhouse and the, the tents to go and everything being built. And by the end of it, you had a little town. And I think uh, that was probably my favorite part is that you saw in this two-hour film a town being built. And uh, I enjoyed it. I was actually pleasantly surprised. And like I said, uh, 85% RMD. All right. I'm also going to give it 85%. Look at us coming together. Yeah, I enjoyed the movie. I have my issues creatively. But that doesn't matter. I'm trying to review this objectively. And understanding Altman's vision for this picture and what he was doing, he accomplished it. And he made a stylized picture, uh, a ballsy decisions, things that a lot of directors just want. They wanted to do, but it was a war that they would not win with studios back in the 70s. There were a few that accomplished. You had the Peck and Paws, of course, who made ballsy decisions. But it was far and few between. Altman is part of that small group that was able to sell this idea to the studios. And of course, look what he had to do. He had to flash the, the film to make sure they didn't change his look. And the style that he was trying to present to the audiences. So that alone should tell you what the times were, how the times were in the 70s. It was an uphill battle. And yes, it still is with with many directors versus the studios. But it was even more tough back then. Amazing picture. Some issues, creative differences or creative decisions. And that's why it's not getting a 90%. But 85 across the board, fantastic movie. 
I do not think traditional Western fans, if they have not seen this, I don't think they would enjoy it. It'll be a little slow, I think. Yeah, if you like Westerns and dramas and I would even say some art films, I think you would definitely appreciate this picture. All right, this concludes our discussion. I want to thank everyone for listening to Weird West Radio. Thank you, Clint. Thank you, Michael. Want more Weird West Radio? Get more Western discussions, plus some pulpy fun. Get more Weird West Radio every month with the Patreon Mike and Clint Do You Right tier. When you pledge just $4 or more a month, you will receive two to four additional broadcasts every single month. More movie discussions on the weird, strange, and traditional Westerns, including episodic breakdowns on the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. and the Wild Wild West. Also, for you Spaghetti Western fans, we've got a monthly specialty show dedicated specifically to the iconic film genre of the 60s and 70s. For more Western discussions plus some pulpy fun, go to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge. Moore said he'd be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead. 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 Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. You can go to hell, hell, hell. (laughs) 